and welcome to The Late Show. Thank you for joining us. I'm Albert Bogle and I'm joined today by my colleague, I- Ian Jimison. Hi, hi. And also we have as our guest today with us, uh, Martin Fair, former moderator of the Church of Scotland, but also Martin is heading up a new role called Pathways to Ministry. And we're going to have a discussion with Martin around some of, some of his new role. But also we're going to talk today about the spiritual health of the nation. Uh, as we come to a time when there's a, a new king coming to the throne, <laughs> a new king uh, that maybe it's time to just take stock of where we are, and especially in Scotland, what is the spiritual health of the nation? And who better than to have a doctor and uh, to talk about something of that, and then to a couple of ministers to be talking about spirituality. I think this could be quite a good podcast. So hang in with us. We're going to uh, be discussing some some interesting topics as we go through our time together this evening. So let's kick off with... Doc Jamison, what's, <laughs> what's the health of the nation like? Well, the health of the nation is a little bit grimmer than it should be, um, and that's because of the pandemic and the fact that for two years um, people weren't getting put through the system in the same way that they used to, and the long and short of that is that we've, we're kind of playing catch-up, and we're playing catch-up with a service that was already on its knees before we went into it, um, and now it's uh, in a very precarious position indeed. So in terms of the physical health of the nation, um, I think we're all having to look after each other. Um, and I think we're we're having to look after each other, not just from the point of view of doctors, nurses, paramedics looking after patients, but, you know, patients looking after us too. Um, and, you know, making sure that we've all got resilience in this. And we will get through it. That's the good news. The good news is we're going to get through it. It's going to take a couple of years, but we're going to get there um, with the right policies. So I think that's I think that's the thing I notice in a, in a physical sense. Yeah. But in a greater sense, though, it, people, it's... What I find in my surgery is that when people come in, it's not just physical ailments. There's a huge link between the mind and the body and the mind, the spirit and the body. Um, It's intrinsic. It's intrinsic. And a lot of people present with physical symptoms that actually what's broken is them. Um, And it comes out in a physical health problem. Um, and I see this over and over and over. And I think the other thing I see as well is that people can be spiritually quite sick, might be the wrong word, but perhaps spiritually unfulfilled. Huh. And I see an awful lot of uh, the resurgence and the, the rise of alternative therapies, which, by the way, I have nothing against. I think what works, works. Um, and I'm very pragmatic about it, but we can see the rise of alternative therapy. And and I see amongst my patients and my friends and my fellow colleagues um, a, a more of an openness to explore spirituality um, as a broader concept because they've got that spiritual need. I think all human beings recognise that spiritual part of themselves, um, and people do recognise that, and I think that, Quite often, this is why we see um, some fringe medical uh, procedures work for people uh, because they're getting healed from their inside, from their depth and from their core. 
Mm. Um, and I think that's worth, you know, talking about right. uh, the, the kind of biblical aspect to that um, because people are looking for that, you know. Uh, my room and the practice, uh, I've got salt lamps everywhere. You know, it's all peace and tranquility and very and very low level ambient music. And I found that actually that creates a wellness space for people to walk into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we can sometimes talk about stuff that's real to them. Um, and it's incredibly rewarding. And I think it's certainly what people say to me, um, people feel the benefit of that. So healing is not just mending your broken bones. Healing can also be saying the right things, having the right attitude, having the right values, mm. and most of all, helping people heal spiritually. You know, Martin, I was just thinking, they say that if you, if you certainly, if you go into the bookshops, there is a plethora of self-help books, a plethora of, of, of well-being books about well-being. Uh, people are interested in, in fiction and, 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 and science fiction in the future and what it might be. <clears throat> there's almost as though there's a longing for something <clears throat> other than what we experience in, in, in everyday life. Uh, how, how do you respond to that? Have you any comments on where do you think why that is? Sure, I think uh, I think you're absolutely spot on, Albert. But uh, first of all, you know, good to be here tonight. Uh, you and I go back a long way. Um, you know, everything that Ian said resonate, resonated with me, despite the fact he's the only non-former moderator in the room tonight. Uh, I think his hat, his hat compensates, so, so we'll let him off with that. But, but getting back to your subject, look, if you're to try and measure the spiritual health of the nation, and to do so by uh, traditional means, like, for example, uh, counting how many people are, are in churches on Sunday mornings, and not least the mainstream uh, denominations. Or, um, you know, if you were to somehow look at what might have been considered tra- traditional Christian values and mm-hmm. see where they've gone, then you might very quickly conclude that we're in a very bad place and that no one is interested Um 31 years of parish ministry tells me that that's not the case and that people continue to be interested, but they're looking in different directions. And so often what is offered on a Sunday morning, 11 o'clock just does not connect. Um, But Albert, just to give you four examples, in the last months of my time in the parish, um, I got in touch and was engaging with a whole number of young men, okay? Now, almost mm-hmm. the last group, I'm talking about young guys in their 20s, almost the last group who would be thought of as, you know, uh, possible church attenders and so on. But as I talked to them, as we walked together and discussed all manner of things, um, and as, you know, the relationships established, on every occasion, I said to those young guys, would you mind if I pray for you? And not once did any of them say no. Um, no, thank you. I'm not interested in that. Each and every one was open to me praying with them and for them. That tells you something. And then even more recently, just earlier this week, um, I was in a conversation with five folks and the topic of angels came up, sort of stimulated by myself, mm-hmm. who might say, started talking about angels. Wow. Everybody in that conversation was engaged. Everybody has thoughts and ideas about what angels might be. And 
how they might communicate and so on. Now, those are not everyday topics about the cost of bread and butter. Those are topics about the other, about that which is not seen and beyond us, and folks are right in on the conversation. So is the interest in spiritual things still there? <clears throat> yes, it is. But somehow, sadly, we in the church have become more, more known for maybe our Friday coffee mornings, our Saturday jumble sales. Now, listen, I'm not demeaning those things. I love when people come together and fellowship mm. around a cup of coffee. But we've got to put alongside that that churches are places where you can do your spiritual searching. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And and so making sometimes we make our churches very difficult for people to do their spiritual searching because we close them. <laughs> They're not open. Yeah, you know, do you know... Uh, I mean, you're right, too often closed doors, but let me just throw in another example from a, 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 just a little time ago, Albert. One night we decided we're going to open the church. I mean, late night, Friday night. I uh, think we opened about 10 o'clock and stayed up and opened about 2 o'clock in the morning. And not long after 1 o'clock, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this, a, a man walks in off the street and uh, he asks if he could come in and pray and if he could light a candle or such like, so of course we, we welcomed him in. He stayed for about 20 minutes. There wasn't a service going on or anything. It was just a space. And as he was going out, he came and said to me, Albert, that he'd only learned earlier that evening that his brother had died. His brother lived away down south. There was no way he could mm -hmm. be there. And he just didn't know what to do. So he left his house and found himself just walking the streets of Arbroath, the town I used to minister in. And there he was with his head down, feeling beaten up by the world. And, and he happens to walk past our church. The door's open, the light's pouring out, and he just found himself drawn in. And in he came, uh, magus of the space, connected with God of that I, of that I have no doubt. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and off he went back into the night, uh, sensing some kind of blessing and some kind of peace that had eluded them. Now, that's just one little snapshot, but let's just imagine we had our churches accessible. And, you know, not always us telling people what to think and what to believe, but creating a space where people could come in and do something of that exploring. That kind of stuff gets me excited. Yeah, and it's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting when we think about that. I'm, and I'm just wondering, as we're talking about these things, did Jesus not say that we can't live on bread alone, but by something much more? And mm. I think while we as Christians, and I think it's right too, that the churches have been often a great protagonist for justice and standing for those who are maltreated. And and you know, I, I want to say that is what we should be doing. But we, we must also speak about the personal soul, about the person and our identity and who we really are and what we're longing for and what people are searching for in their lives, that connection yeah. with the other, with God. Yeah. And, and, um, no, I was um, going to say, and we need to connect with that, though, don't we? I mean, isn't that, isn't that really to, to give that space for spirituality? And I think that the morning services and... Uh, you know, the way that they're constructed, there are constructions around services and you've got the lectionary and things like that. And I, I, I think I, my sense is that the, the ministry of the apostles um, and 
Jesus's ministry was much more free-flowing than that and much more in the moment than that. Very much, so, Martin, you were talking about the conversation about angels because I do think there is a hunger within people for the other, for mm -hmm. something else that's bigger than them. And people aren't stupid. People understand that uh, physics, the model that we live under, the scientific model of physics is, is imperfect. Um, and as you get smaller and smaller and smaller, it falls to bits. Um, and you get quantum physics, it's a different thing again. So, you know, there is a recognition, there are things we just don't know. Um, and there are there are unknown unknowns. And I think that's maybe where people's hearts want to go. And I think the other thing is people chase spirituality through, uh, you, you mentioned self-help groups. But the other thing that people often do is they want to have a spiritual experience through, say, taking drugs, for example. You'll never have a spiritual experience through taking drugs. You'll have a drug experience through taking drugs. But it does show you that people, they mm -hmm. want that. They want that extra contact with another dimension, another side of themselves, something that answers some of their questions, something that um, it can get them right and harmonised, not just with their fellow man, but with the eternal I think we all, I think all human beings um, have that search. And Richard Dawkins kind of takes the, the mickey out of it a little bit. You know, he, he, he says, you know, you give a monkey a banana, he's grateful for the banana, but he doesn't have to believe you're going to do anything for him to forget the banana. Uh, but, but actually, that's just such a superficial way of looking at it. And I was going to just end my wee bit here by saying that I think, Christianity as as a religion, uh, as a group of people, has come under quite a degree of scrutiny and castigation um, from the kind of popular media uh, in a way that other religions perhaps don't get um, a sort of isolated and and uh, you know twisted and turned. Um, everybody has their own view of what Christianity actually is. Um, but I would ask you guys, what is Christianity? What should it be? Yeah. How long did you say we've got up? <laughs> um, I mean, in the, other, in the other sense, there's a really simple and straightforward uh, answer to Ian's question. It's just become followers of Jesus. And, um, you know, he came to the beach in Galilee and said to the first followers, come and follow me. Now, there was more, but that's the starting point. So, you know, who, who are we as Christians? What is it to be a Christian? It's one who responds to that call and sets out on a life's journey of, of following Jesus. And I, I mean, I think, I think it's hard to go much further or any need to go much further than that in response to Ian's question. But just let me pick up some of what you were saying, Albert. And I think what you were touching on is the, the question of balance in the Christian life and how the churches express their faith. And um, I think you're spot on that there are times when we get that balance sort of out of kilter. And I think if you take, you know, our own denomination, for example, the Church of Scotland, we are pretty good at helping where there is need, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of our churches have worked out ways to be engaged with their communities and meeting people who are broken, marginalised and so on. I celebrate that and I don't ever want to be a church that closes its door in the face of need. Um, 
that would be, you know, an, a, a, an abomination, absolutely. But there's more to it. There's more to it than just the social need. And for so long, we've had this kind of divide within the church that you'll have some people who want to focus on social justice and help and service at the exclusion of other things. And, and then, sadly, others on the other side who only want to be concerned with spiritual matters and have no time for where there is need. Now, just picture a set of scales and how we need to balance the two. And um, so let's continue to care for people in need at every moment and every opportunity when that need comes knocking on our door. But let's raise our eyes upwards. And maybe might I put it this way, let's stop being so embarrassed about what we believe spiritually, about eternal things, about God who was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. Let's stop being embarrassed about praying and what we what we gain when we pray together. Let's stop being embarrassed about talking about the healing that Christ brings. I mean, there's so much more that we could say tonight. We need it all if we're going to represent Christ fully and properly, and if we're going to be the church that we need to be in this country in these days. So here's the thing then. Do we need evangelists, you know, in the Church of Scotland? Do we need do we need people who have got the gift of evangelism? And do we need a new kind of evangelist uh, that works in a different way? Um, do we need evangelists? Oh, absolutely. And I would suggest that at every age of the church and through every generation has needed evangelists. But let me come back to this question of embarrassment. Um, I think that's alive and well across many folks in our churches that are embarrassed somewhat. And also, there's a terrible lack of confidence, Albert, uh, confidence in the gospel, as I would put it, confidence in the gospel. And so you hear one person after another, whenever the question of evangelism or faith sharing comes up, people <clears> responding <throat> saying things like, well, I wouldn't know what to say. If they ask me difficult questions, I wouldn't know what to say. Now, that's the lack of confidence in the gospel that is eating away at us and that we need a response to. It's in, it's in the epistles of Peter, isn't it, where we're encouraged always to be ready with an answer when someone asks us to give us an account for our faith. Sadly, I don't mean this in a condemnatory kind of way, but sadly, too many of us within the church are not ready to give an answer in those moments. Evangelists are those who specialise in that, who specialise in being able to get alongside people. So if you're thinking of evangelism as a white-suited uh, American who fills stadiums and so on, well, okay, there's a time and a place. But evangelists are you, ordinary folk who are just great at getting alongside people and who have this overflowing heart of love for people people who have found Christ for themselves and can't contain it and want to share that with others and are able to do it in such a normal, everyday, ordinary, almost mundane kind of way, Albert. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we could get that picture in our minds rather than somebody on the stage and the platform, um, I think it would make it easier for us all to see that evangelism is for all of us. Uh, sure, there are specially gifted evangelists, but even so, we're all called to a ministry of evangelism. Do you know... I think if we were all asked to describe why we love our wives, mm. we wouldn't have a problem. 
and just talking about and it flow from us. Or if you done any, if you were asked to describe why you love your grandchild, Dean, you know, you know, you you don't you you don't are not short of words, because the other thing you and you were saying is what is a Christian. Jesus gave us a very good example when he said, here is the whole thing summed up. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And on these hangs all the laws and all the commandments and everything. So this idea of love, if we can fall in love with Jesus and we can come to know that personal relationship that we need to have, in order that we can do that, then we can talk about that which we know. It may be that some of us know a lot about Jesus, but we've never really met him. And even within the church, it's possible to be everything in the church, but you've never met Jesus for yourself. And you need that encounter. And you need to be open to that encounter to recognize that need. And I think when we recognize that need and go, and that's what Jesus meant about seeking after him. If you shall seek, you will find. And then in finding, then it's not too difficult then to do the next step when someone asks you about the person you love to begin to explain and talk about why you love that person. Albert, Albert, you're on a roll uh, and uh, and you, you, you prove yourself to be what we've always known, a, a natural evangelist yourself. And, uh, and let that continue to sort of flow out of you as an example to others. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's just God at work in our lives, isn't it? That we just say, it's like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, you know? Yeah, but you know, I loved what you said about just making it such a simple thing as, you know, yeah, I'm married, I'll be 36 years married this year, and if you ask me to stand up in front of a crowd, it wouldn't be an embarrassment to me. If you, if you asked me to sit down next to a stranger in a cafe, it wouldn't be an embarrassment for me to tell them how much I love Elaine, what she means in my life. Tell a wee about this story, how we first met, which incidentally was preschool, and, mm -hmm. and how we'd kind of walked together all through life, started school together, uh, became Christians together, uh, how we raised children together, how we've travelled together, how through thick and thin, through really tough times as well, we've come closer and closer together and love each other more than probably we ever knew we could. And you see how that just came so naturally? Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and, that's, and that's it. So, so translate that over. You know, you know, let's talk about a relationship with God. Now, when you say that to people, that's, what, that's a starting point for evangelism. I think people could suddenly think, I could do that. I could I do know. that. See, look, since you've said all that, I know Ian is just bursting to tell us about Joanne. I know he is, because I've known him for so long. But isn't it true, Ian, how much Joanne means to you? Jo Joanne is basically, my, she, she's my angel. That's what Joanne is. I mean, you know, Joanne is the one that's there when I'm at my very worst. She's there sometimes when I'm at my very best. Um, she's, she's there... Uh, in the in-between times as well. You know, she's been a constant faithful companion all the days I've known her. And she's also a deeply, um, you know, a, a deeply spiritual person um, with huge talents and huge kindness. Um, and I'm incredibly proud of Joanne. 
um, all that she's done in her life. Um, she didn't have the best start in life and then she became a nurse. And I met her when she was um, in her final year of nursing. And I, 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 I'm going to tell this story because you got to tell a story. I'm going to tell a story. So when when I met Joanne, it was a, I was to go and get blood from this old guy in one of the beds in one of the bays. And I, as usual, had forgotten my tourniquet to get a vein up. So I happened to see Joanne standing there looking very pretty. So being me, I called her over and I said, look, would you mind being a tourniquet for this guy? So she holds this guy's arm and I've got the needle in this guy's arm. <laughs> I say to him, I said, listen, so I'm sorry to bring this on you. I said, oh, I'm really, really shy. Um, do you think that nurse there would go out with me? And the old man said, I'm not sure, son. Well, I'm taking his blood. Maybe you should ask her. Uh, and I said, no, I'm dead shy. And I said, besides, if you ask her, she can't say no. <laughs> and that was how we went on our first date. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, can I tell you the wonderful thing about all this is you don't need an intermediate when you ask if you can go out with Jesus. You know, you don't need to be scared if you're somebody who's listening into this. You don't need to go to somebody who knows Jesus better than you do and say, would you ask Jesus if I could be his friend? It doesn't work like that. You can go direct. And even now as we're listening, if you're longing for that deeper relationship that people seem to have, you know, it's a phone call away. It's a prayer away. And a prayer that is really meant God answers and hears and responds. So there you go. This is uh, the evangelist. Sharing our faith is so important. We need people who are willing to do that. And maybe we need to be thinking more about this. So here's the next thing. Could we discuss together the danger of spiritual arrogance by ignoring the poor? And 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 maybe talk together how we can achieve that balance of God's call to care for the poor and the needy, but also to speak about this need to be born of the Spirit. How do you mean spiritual arrogance? Well, I uh, wonder sometimes the there are people who think, you know, um, I, I don't need to, you know, the, the people don't need help. They need they need to know God. If I give them a Bible, that's oh, that's all they that, need. That's just patent nonsense. Who in earth that? Uh, you sorry, I'm just asking the question. Do people actually? Oh, I, think I, that? I have met. I have met. I have <laughs> met people that who say, if you give them the Bible, that's all they need because then the Bible will help them become self-supporting and become they'll be, they'll, they'll find a way through it. The Bible is all they need. You can't eat a Bible. You can't feed your fat. Well, you feed your family with the Bible in fairness to you guys. But <laughs> generally speaking, people can't feed their families with the Bible. Or, or, or can they feed their families with the Bible? Now, there's a question for you both. Well, see, that's the balance we're trying to talk about, really. I mean, I think that <clears throat> without dismissing the people who say you need the Word of God more than anything else, that there's a, some truth in that, but there's also the immediate call to help the poor in who are in need. You know, if if you see your brother in need and you walk by, 
James says in, in his epistles, he tells us, you know, what good is that? You mm. know, a, you know, and say, and if you walk by your brother and say, be well, God bless you, but you don't give him anything. Yes. You yeah. know, then you, you be very, very careful about all that. And, and there's a spirituality also in the East, by the way. There is a spirituality within the East. I remember speaking to an Indian man who told me that one of his friends was, was unable to help the poor because he believed in reincarnation. Mm -hmm. And his friend had said to him, if I was to give this man food and money, I would be going against the will of the gods because he's been punished for what he did. This is in another life. He's done other things that's wrong. And if I was to then give him some help, the gods would punish me because I'm breaking into the cycle of punishment that, that, that he's getting. You get what you deserve. You, so, you reap what you sow, and that's it. And there is a philosophy of some people. It, it suits them. It's, that philosophy suits you very well. I, I think you're right about that and the fact that sometimes things like that can kind of suit you if you're not willing to give of yourself or share of yourself or simply stand beside people. Um, and and as I say, help them and help them in practical ways. I mean, that's kind of what I do every day um, is is to help people and to you know help people who are in need. And I mean, that's just kind of like how I roll. So I, that's why I find it a difficult concept that you wouldn't just naturally do that because that's kind of a, what what we do. But then you know, I'm, I maybe look at my my charitable giving could be more. Um, but then I need to temper that with with other conflicting things in my life. Um, it's a very complex thing, but I think that you're quite right, Albert. There are spiritual things now that now that now that you explain it that way. I can I can see why it might be arrogant to think that you don't need to get involved. Who are you to say you don't need to get involved? Mm -hmm. If you're there and somebody's got given you a pound in your pocket and you don't need it, give it to somebody else that does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, maybe just to add to this discussion, I, I think there is alive and well, I'm going to call it a perversion of the gospel, which so emphasizes what's in it for me. Um, it's sometimes dubbed as a kind of gospel of health, wealth and prosperity. It's just all about what I might get out of it. And I don't read that in scripture, Albert, I really don't. I'm glad you mentioned uh, the epistle of James who, you know, who so clearly says, no good just to say someday, God bless you, if you're not going to help them in their situation. Um, so I believe I am called to follow Christ, and from that flow all kinds of responsibilities. I love a little verse in chapter 2 and verse 10 in um, the letter to the Ephesians, when it says that we are saved and that there, uh, and that there are, are good deeds for us to do which have been prepared for us in yeah. advance. Now, I don't know, sometimes almost in, in some Christian circles, the very um, idea of good deeds gets kind of minimalized. But you know, how good would it be if we woke up every morning just ready to serve, ready to be kind, ready to display Absolutely. Jesus through our hands and, uh, and through our helping? And so that does not run counter to, um, to a worship of a holy God and to a spiritual raising up. It really doesn't. The two need to go hand in hand. Absolutely. 
I want to ask you another question now, since I've got you here in, in the discussions today. This new post, this new job that you've taken on, Pathways into Ministry, does this mean that you're now looking for a different kind of, a different style of person, somebody who, is there a different kind of ministers that are required in today's world? Okay, I think probably yes is the answer, but let me just kind of preface my, my answer, Albert, with one or two comments. Um, first of all, we must never lose sight of this truth that everyone who becomes a follower of Christ is in one way or another in ministry. Um, I've got to get away from a model that sees the minister as the one at the front mm. and doing it all and everyone else is sitting sort of passively spectating. I mean, that gets us nowhere at all. We are all called into ministry of one kind or another, but absolutely it's biblical I think it absolutely makes sense that within that, there are some who are called into particular roles. Almost like you might want to think of a football team, there'll be a captain. Or uh, if you think of a, of a platoon in the army, there'll be a lieutenant who is leading. And so in the same way within the church, we're all called to ministry, but there are some who are called to specific ministries. And for any number of reasons, sad to say, Certainly, again, I'm referring to our own denomination, although others are not immune. The Church of Scotland has not drawn enough people into these particular ministry roles in recent times. And if you look at the stats at the moment, many or most even uh, are coming into their latter years of ministry, and we are not seeing nearly enough younger people coming through, those who are at this point in their life responding to a call of God. So that's clear, and I've become part of a team which is going to look at that and see how might we encourage a spirit of uh, coming after God, a, a spirit of re responding to the call that God places upon people's lives. But then you're asking me, what kind of minister? Here's the answer, all kinds, okay, all kinds. Maybe in days gone by, the parish minister was the model that was rolled out everywhere. That day's gone when it would be one minister in one church and that minister, he or she, doing their thing on a Sunday, mm -hmm. everything else contained during the week and so on. We need all kinds of ministers nowadays, all kinds of different people, different ages and stages in life, different experiences. Um, yes, still some who will be in those more traditional parish roles, but we need people who are, as you said, more naturally evangelists. We need people who are what are dubbed nowadays as pioneers who kind of want to go beyond the walls of the church and meet people where they are and see if new churches can spring up. We need all kinds of different people. Albert, it's exciting, it really is. Listen, I don't want to minimise the challenges facing the church in these days. They are enormous. But if I thought we were done for, do you think I would have taken on this role? I would have done anything else instead. But I'm here because I believe absolutely that God's not finished with the church and has plans and purpose for this church that Jesus might be known across this land in every way. That will require new leaders, new ministers. Hey, if there's anybody listening tonight, Albert, who thinks that might just be for them, I'm happy to get in touch and to listen and to talk and let's see what we can do about that. So here's a question then. So somebody is listening in or somebody's thinking, you know, I could I could cut back in my present work 
and I could take on a new role. And there might be somebody that's gifted in another area. Is that the kind of thing that you're talking about, being open to pathways for ministry to allow people that might, you know, might in some ways still be a tent maker, like and like Paul working part of the time, but being free to do something else some of the other time? Absolutely. We, we need all sorts of different models. There will still be some who will respond to a call to ministry earlier in life and will give their career or their life to that. Others who will have a career and then maybe later will hear a call to ministry and will give that up and come full time into ministry. But as you use that phrase, tent making, absolutely, there will need to be space for people who will minister alongside other things. It's very commonplace in other denominations and other countries. We need to see more of more of it within the um, our church, the Church of Scotland, for sure. But I'm sure if there are others listening from elsewhere, they would agree. So yes, Albert, we need to open doors, lots of them, so that lots of different kind of people who are sensing a move or a nudging of the spirit. Is this me? Might God be wanting me to minister? I'm looking to open, open up lots of doorways so that people of all shapes and sizes can find a way into minister so that we can use the gifts that God has given people for the building up of the church, that the church in turn might be good news for this nation. So if somebody was wanting to do all this, would they need to go back to uni- would they need to go to university and get a, a theology degree before they can become a minister? Um, <clears throat> how do they get trained? What's, the, what's your training program going to be looking like for this kind of recruiting these new people? Is it going to be, is it, it sounds as though it's going to be a very bespoke kind of training for different people. There's not, there's not going to be one size fits all. It needs to be bespoke, Albert, and I'm not dodging your question by saying that all of that is up for review right now, and the very things you're saying are the questions we're asking. But I can say clearly, it needs to be more bespoke. One size doesn't fit all. We need to find ways to train and prepare people so that they are ready for the reality of what they will face out there in the world. Um, Do we need theological education? I would be greatly saddened and worried if we said no to that. We do Mm -hmm. need a grounding. We do need an understanding. The Church of Scotland has always been proud of having an educated ministry. It's the balance that we need to get right. Um, Think of the idea of an apprentice who does most of his or her learning on the ground alongside um, a master tradesman. Now, they may go off to do day release training at college or something like that, but most of their learning and preparation is done, can I say, on the job. That's one particular model that we're going to explore for ministry. How can we get people learning from the day one um, so that we can have them ministering uh, across our church? Albert, there's a lot of work going to be done right now. We've started and in the coming time to answer fully the questions you've asked, but let me tell you, we are on it and there are creative minds being brought to bear to the questions. So here's another question now. As we're coming near the end of this podcast, the health of the nation, you know, we're thinking about the health of the nation. If God is raising up people to do this, because obviously you feel God's going to be calling people, you wouldn't be doing this. So there are people maybe going to listen to this podcast who maybe are God's hands on their life. How would you know if you're being called by God, how would how would you know? 
And what, how would you go, what would you actually do? And how would you go about it? But how would you know it's not just something going through your head? Yeah, isn't that just a brilliant question, Albert? Because people doubt it time and time again. I've spoken to so many, even in recent weeks as I've started this new role, I've done lots of conversations with people who are quite early in their life and ministry. And I've been asking them the very question, tell me about your call. Tell me about how you understood, how you processed that to begin with. And nearly all of them, without fail, said, to begin with, I just wasn't sure. I ignored it. I ran away. I thought, I must be mad. And you know what? Lots of people don't say it, don't whisper it to another soul for fear of being mocked or people laughing at them saying, you, you can't be serious, can you? And so often people doubt it. I think the very first thing is one needs to pray. And so sincerely, Lord, if you're speaking to me, do you know, um, we can think of the story of young Samuel who misinterpreted, first of all, who was calling him. And yet he was advised, go back and listen for the word of the Lord. Um, so we need to pray, but we need also not to be shy about sharing what we're feeling with other people. Um, I think God affirms our call often through other people. And I've heard people even in these last few weeks saying, I plucked up the courage. I said to someone and immediately they said, I just wondered why it took you so long to get around to this. In other words, other people can recognize our gifts, can see that God might be calling us and their support and encouragement and affirmation can be such a help. Then, through those early processes, maybe talking with some other people, some trusted Christian friends, then we're saying, come and get in touch with us at the church. Come and talk to us about it and we can guide and advise about how to deal with all that's happening in your mind and your heart about what God might be saying. Come and talk to us and we'll help you through that process and hopefully open doors for you that you might indeed respond fully to the call. God is still in the business of calling people to follow him and to serve him. And uh, I'm so excited to be part of uh, a package now, part of a team that's going to be dealing with that very question. Do you know something, Martin? Why I'm in ministry, why I'm a minister, is because another minister, when I was a young man, 16, came and he felt my collar, you might say, and he said, God's calling you to the ministry. What are you doing about it? Yeah. Here's a question. Should we have the courage sometimes if we believe that somebody, God's got his hand on someone, should we actually broach the subject with them? Albert, you're queuing me up tonight as if we had already discussed all these questions in advance. <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, we're going to be holding a fringe event at this year's General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. And at that event, we're going to be saying exactly that to ministers and elders who come to that lunchtime event. We're going to be um, using the analogy of a football talent scout. Now, you know, the manager of the team, he cannot be uh, watching all the junior games, all the amateur games, all the boys club games. He or she, they need to, they need to have a, a, a sort of team of scouts who are out and about looking for that talent, looking for that young player who's got all the potential in the same way. We need ministers and elders across our church who are ready to sit down and say to someone, come and have a coffee with me. And then to begin a conversation and then to say, I have seen in you, I reckon potential. 
for ministry. Have you ever thought about it? And to start that question, our little phrase is this, a coffee, a chat, and a calling. So absolutely a yes in response to your question. We all need across the whole church to recognise we've got that responsibility upon us to be looking out and to seeing where that person or those people might be, to encourage them and affirm them and to, yeah, jog them into thinking about it. The three C's, a coffee, a chat and a calling. Exactly. A coffee, a chat and a calling. And But if you want, you can make it a lager or a beer and a chat and a calling. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. You got me right on there. <laughs> Yeah. So, in other words, you're saying it's an opportunity that God is me clearing out space because He's calling people a new, He's calling in a new team, and He's going to be building, and He has already started in people's lives. And what you've been saying, if I can summarize what I think you've been saying too, is that. It is a knowledge of a football team. This team is going to be playing in a different way from the old team. There's going to be different positions that are going to be used and there's going to be different tactics used. And therefore, this team is going to be using all the gifts of people and not just a select few gifts. And this team is not just about paid paid ministers but each one of us is called in some way to be a minister of the gospel. Maybe we need to affirm that. Like, I'm just thinking about my, my brother here, Ian, who we spent a lifetime, a long time together. And really the ministry of healing that we talked about is in his hands, in his life over the years, he's been truly ministering the gospel in life in that sort of way. But I I don't think we affirm our our Christian brothers, in this, that we should do in the work they do. Is it possible to maybe do that in the calling to ministry? To say there's a lot of people out there in ministry that we've not been we've not been blessing and encouraging. Uh, please let that be the case. I mean, I, I mean, I know some wonderful Christian people who are teachers, and that is their vocation. Absolutely, I know Christians who are committed in factory floors, in health centres, and in every walk of life, Albert. So. We're not saying that everybody has to lay down what they're doing and come and work specifically in church-based ministry. You can minister where you are. There's no question of that. Uh, we need everybody on the on the field of play and far less people in the stands watching what's going on. That's the thing. God is calling all of us. Look, there are some things which will never change and the truth of the gospel is there forever after. I don't want to see that change, compromise, re-engineered, reframed or whatever. But how the church understands itself, how we engage with people, that's constantly got to be changing. You know, I was thinking about it earlier. I got some sort of flashback memory to my mum and dad's house when I was growing up in the early 70s. I can still picture the wallpaper of the 70s and the, the soft furnishings and the settees we had. Now, imagine imagine we had not redecorated that house in the last 50 years. I mean, it would look like a relic or some kind of museum piece or throwback. Of course, it's changed all through the years. 
in the same way, the gospel stays, but the church has to change. The church has to adapt uh, and be real and available to people in a different world. And you better believe it's a different world now to the one I grew up in in the early 70s. Sometimes I feel we've got stranded there. We need to be adapting. We need creative people at the forefront who are showing us new ways uh, to get excited about the same gospel in different ways. Well, listen, I think we've covered a lot of ground tonight about the spiritual health of the nation, and we've come up with some interesting conclusions. But more than anything else is that we all have a responsibility for our brother and our sister. We have to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. And we have to encourage one another. And uh, perhaps it might just be you that God is calling to do another kind of job in another kind of place and in in what we call the ministry tied in with the church in some special way. And if that's the case, don't don't dismiss it, but respond to it. So look, can I thank you for coming on, Martin, and sharing with us today. And thank you, Ian, for being with us and the contributing as well to our time together this evening. And until next month, when we catch up again, God bless and take care and have a good month.